This is Up for Debate Presents Shaken, Not Stirred, Six Decades of James Bond in Film. Tonight, episode number 141, recorded March 21st, 2019. Chapter 2 Sean Connery in Thunder Lives Twice Forever. Vanity has its dangers. Vanity, Mr. Bond. Something you know so much about. My dear girl, don't flatter yourself. What I did this evening was for king and country. You don't think it gave me any pleasure, do you? But of course, I forgot your ego, Mr. Bond. James Bond, who only has to make love to a woman, and she starts to hear heavenly choir singing. She repents it and immediately returns to the side of right and virtue. But not this one. What a blow it must have been. You having a failure. Well, you can't win them all. My friend, now you take your first civilized bath. Really? Well, I like the plumbing. Place yourself entirely in their hands, my dear born son. Rule number one is never do anything for yourself when someone else can do it for you. And number two? Rule number two, in Japan, men always come first. Women come second. I might just retire to here. I suppose you know what it is about you that fascinates them. It's the hair on your chest. Japanese men all have beautiful bare skin. Japanese proverbs say, bird never make nest in bare tree. The wine is quite excellent. Although for such a grand meal, I had rather expected a claret. Of course. Unfortunately, our cellar is rather poorly stocked with clarets. Mouton Rothschild is a claret. And I've smelt that after shave before, and both times I've smelt a rat. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Up for Debate Presents. I am Sean Jennings, joined as always by uh, our own Mr. Blofeld. Are you one of those Blofeld clones, <laughs> Matt? Uh oh! Wh- wh- spoilers here, Sean. Whoa, we were. I'm coming to the last movie. This. Please, if you're listening yeah. to this and you haven't seen the movies, yeah. I can't do much for you. I'm sorry. Um, what well, to answer your question? Uh, I would not be one of those Blofeld clones. I would not want to go through that process. They didn't really do too good a job of explaining what that process was. It just looked really gross, didn't it? Yeah, from what I I actually had to do extra research to figure out what it was because I agree with you and I believe it's just that they literally he has like scientists like craft skin that he then grafts onto people's faces. It is Frankenstein esque. Oh, yeah, it's, that's that's that is horrific. But because uh, they, they have those like mud baths, right? There's like yeah, greenish yellow mud baths that they, that they come out of. What? Where do you, what do you think preempted that that like concept to be in the movie? I think it was, it was just human cloning. I think it was just cool to drown the guy in. I have a feeling like at least 50% of the things in James Bond movies are only there because they look cool. Oh, sure. I mean, I don't think that's any secret. No. Yeah, I think that's that's 100% accurate. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But what I what I love about the Blofeld clone is it does get me one of my favorite lines. Uh, which is after he shoots one of the clones, um, Blofeld says, right idea, Mr. Bond. And then James Bond says, but wrong pussy. 
Like, no. Wait, wait, he doesn't. Does he say that? Yes, he does. Because what happens he is he scares the cat and the cat jumps to what he thinks oh, is the right Blofeld. Right. Okay. But then there was a clone of the cat. I've got a lot to say about Diamonds Are Forever, but we're going to get to that in a minute. Um, what a bonkers movie that was. Uh, we've got I three bonkers every, movies. Every time Sean, in that movie, every time Sean Connery mails in like like a like a Bond line that was clearly written by a, by like a 13-year-old, he should turn to the camera and make like a gym face and just be like shrug. <laughs> mm, sorry. They paid me $3 million or whatever, $7 million to be in this, uh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. We have <laughs> an off the rails episode tonight. If folks didn't check out chapter one, uh, they should do it. Episode number 140. We had Colby on. He was a great first guest. We covered the first three James Bond films, Dr. No from Russia with love and Goldfinger tonight. The next three, the second and final half of our Sean Connery retrospective. We'll be doing Thunderball. You only live twice and diamonds are forever. Uh, and then we'll move on to Roger Moore. Matt, we have got interesting movies here. I suppose we should do them in order uh, and start with Thunderball. Uh, Thunderball coming out 1965. Terrence Young, who directed the first two movies, returns to helm this one. Um, a movie that, for some unexplicable reason, 25% of it is set underwater. Hmm. Uh, go figure. Based, of course, on the book Thunderball by Ian Fleming. Um so there you go. Yeah, um, this was this was interesting. Thunderball turned out to be the most financially successful Bond film up until Skyfall, uh, which came out in 2011 or 2012. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yeah, I think it was late 2011. Yeah, um, until Skyfall came out. Yeah, Thunderball, most most financially successful Bond film. Um, there was a whole bunch of hairy legal disputes that went on behind the scenes before uh, before this movie was made. Yeah. Um, there was some speculation that Bond would uh, would never would never uh, appear on film again. They they had to. It was a whole big mess with the uh, involving the producers and the the original writers and yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Thunderball was supposed to be the first movie, the first James right. Bond movie, and because of the rights issue, they went with Doctor No instead. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So already you you have like a lot of um. Spe- meanwhile, there's a lot of speculation. Bond's not not coming back. But there's in behind the scenes you have, uh, the culture um of Bond is now kind of reaching its its peak. It's reaching its zenith almost, and everybody's going Bond crazy after Goldfinger. Well, yeah, and this is you know. They've done a film every single year, 62, 63, 64, 65. I mean, that's bonkers. You never see that today where they're hitting a movie every single year for four years straight. Unless it's Star Wars. Uh, right, I mean, unless it's, Disney, you know. Disney's Star Wars. You move on a franchise. But to do it with the exact same actor oh, and the yeah. same directors, essentially. Terrence Young and, does does uh, three of the first four. Yeah, and it was the early 60s. Yeah, I mean, it was unheard of. Yeah, definitely. And even when Planet of the Apes was pumping out sequels at this time, I don't think they were doing it as quickly. Mm. Yeah. Um, and those were more for like, I think more niche audiences. What we would go to see the sequels for Planet of the Apes. But yeah. but James Bond, you know, a cultural phenomenon. As you, you mentioned, very successful. Anybody who was anybody had to, yeah, they had to go see it. Uh, see the James Bond. Um, yeah. Uh, so we, we jump right into it. And... Um, this is one of my favorite opening scenes in a Bond movie. Um, <laughs> uh, what what happens is, you know, Bond is uh, is uh, 
or no, it's um a funeral, right? Yes. It's like a grieving widow. And there's a coffin with the initials JB on it. Yes. And and all the audience is why is looking at it like, oh, somebody killed James Bond? What? Uh of course, then the widow gets into a car, which we'll come back to in a minute. Um Bond is watching the whole thing though, through a pair of binoculars, right? Um and he is this the part with the does he have a jetpack in this? In he this does scene? he does after the fight. Okay, okay, never mind. Then I'm, I'm getting ahead yeah, of myself. Yeah, so he follows the car mm-hmm. home. Right. And then he gets in the car and yep. reveals that it's... The widow is actually a or man. Or no, he does that in the house, yes. Yeah, it's a man. Namely, it's one of uh, Blofeld's henchmen, I guess. One of his top advisors. A uh, fight ensues. Bond kills the grieving widow. In a Makes great fight. Of, yeah, yeah, the, the fight scene was excellent. Um, the fun fact is that the wid- the widow is played by Sean Connery's stunt double in the oh, previous. Ooh. That's neat. Good no. for him. You know mm-hmm. what? Good for him. That's why it looks it looks like similar to Sean Connery, and you you think it might be. I was gonna uh, say they didn't think that would be confusing. No, because <laughs> not. But yeah, it's it's the, I, can't, I can't remember if it was the stunt. I think it's been it was his stunt double in like all the previous movies up until that point, hmm. and that was going to be his last one. So he want I guess he requested that he wanted a bigger part, so he got to play the widow. Which is good for him. That's yeah. awesome. Um, my the, the he then flies away. He escapes the the castle on a jetpack, right? Yes. Did, did which, it, which it is a by the way a real jetpack. Yes, it is. Now a real, I don't think fully he, functioning jetpack. I don't think Sean Connery actually flies it in the movie, but it is a <laughs> real working jetpack. Which seems very impractical, by the way, because then he has to like take it off and put it in the trunk of the car before driving away. Yeah. Yeah, it does, but it's Bond, so he's got to have some cool things. Oh, it was dope. Uh, What I wrote here – oh, so (laughs) Bond reveals that – the way that he he gets the the, um, widow to disrobe and reveal that the widow is actually a disguised man is he said – he notices – he noticed that he was a man because he, he opened the car door himself. When he was spying through the binoculars, if you notice, we go back to that part where the where the widow gets in the car. Yep. He's and it said a widow would allow the door to be opened for her, but you opened it yourself. So that means you have to be a man. Of course, makes sense. Yeah. So, um, we get into the Bond flies away with the jetpack and uh, the title scene, title song. Sung by the one and only Tom Jones. Yes. Does a very good, very good Thunderball um, title song, I think. I think it's – I thought it was it was him at his, at his very, very best. I, it's good for Tom Jones. I, I think in the pantheon of Bond songs, I think it's good enough. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll talk about some others I liked less, but I thought it was fine. I thought I got the um, job done. Yeah. So what, what did you think about the opening scene in general? Well, I, I, I wrote in my notes something that's come up a couple times in the first few movies. Movie fights were so much better before CGI and quick cuts. Because what you notice, watch a Marvel movie these days, and what you see is they cut the angle of the cameras every fi- every second. There's a different angle, so you never get a good look at the action, and you also never get a good look at the stunt doubles, which is kind of part of the reason why they do it. In that opening fight, they hold on those fights 
without cutting the camera for a long time. So you actually see the hand-to-hand. They're knocking over balsa wood grandfather clocks onto people like a bad wrestling match. It's great to see that kind of action in a movie. It just doesn't happen that much. This is kind of... I don't want to get into it too much, but when, you know, uh, the Bourne films, the Jason Bourne films came out, a lot of people saw that as a reinvention of the sort of spy thriller genre because it brought some of this back, some of the old school hand-to-hand, no-cuts action um, that we saw in this movie a little bit in the opening. So that's, I really enjoy when the Bond movies do that. So I thought it was great. The jetpack was crazy, but these movies are. (laughs) I, I literally wrote, he has a goddamn jetpack, exclamation point. Goddamn jetpack. That's, that's right. I swear a lot in these notes. We'll, we'll get to it. Because <laughs> I just don't understand it. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's absolutely fair. Um, so, oh, they're, they're, um, what is the overall plot for this one? Is this the one with the absolutely... Yeah, tell me, tell me what what is the villain plot like? What is yeah? So so actually, the next scene in the movie is we see mm-hmm. the Spectre meeting location happening in Paris, and I wrote it's a fantastic set piece. I loved that meeting room where they had all the Spectre guys in their chairs, and one of them ends up getting electrocuted pretty dramatically. But I loved that just the design of that whole room. It was very cool, um, and in it we learn uh, we meet uh, number one Spectre number one. Um, and we learn about the latest plot. So tell me what you think of this, Matt. Apparently, and we need to talk about this because I don't know if this is true. Apparently, when NATO flies test missions, they equip the planes with actual live nuclear bombs with the uh, with the triggers. There's no way that that's that, actually happening. That can't Sean. be a thing, right? I don't think that's a thing. Like that, that I would really be hope crazy. Not. There would be no re. Why would they do that? Well, but like, even if you did put actual nuclear bombs on the plane, which is crazy, they also make a point to be like, oh, they're also bringing the trigger device that right. without it, the bombs wouldn't work. And I'm like, why? <laughs> why would you even then bring that? Why don't you? Why you would think they'd have like dummy triggers. And dummy bonds that are, bombs that are like replicas. Well, and the point of the mission isn't even right? to Not drop. Like real ones. At no point will they even attempt to drop the bombs. It is just merely a, a flight mission. exercise. Right, but even for the purpose of, I mean, even giving them a giant benefit of the doubt, like maybe it's to like weigh the plane a certain way so that the way it'll fly a certain way and. Then in that case, why don't why not just build replicas? Yeah. Why there's it, no way. But yes, this, this, it's this, crazy. I think this is the, the thing in the Bond world, the Bond universe. Right. Well, you know, a little suspension of disbelief. Okay. But the plan so. is with the NATO plane, they uh, hire Angelo to come in, surgically alter a man's face. Takes them t- what two years? I think they say to do the plan. They train him on how to fly. They kill the real pilot, replace him. Uh, and then he kills everybody on the plane, lands the plane in the ocean, which I don't think would work, by the way. I don't think you can just land a plane on the ocean and sink it to the bottom of it. I'm not an aviation expert, but whatever. Sink the plane to the bottom of the ocean, extract the bombs, and then use the bombs to hold the world for ransom. For how much money? 100 million uh, (laughs) pounds. 100 million pounds. Hey, that was a lot of money back then. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, to be fair, this movie made more money than that. So I guess it's not that spectacular of an amount, but this is just clearly the um it's clearly the the joke from Austin Powers 
I think the first Austin Powers after they thaw out Doctor No, and uh, and he he says he's going to hold the world ransom for one million dollars, and everybody's just laughing at him <laughs> like, yeah, that's exactly uh, it. I, yeah, that, it's definitely where that where that I think I would that's that has to be where that came from, right? Oh, for sure. I would think so. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So, um, all a problem with this is that he, he says he's holding the ransom to for you know for that amount of money, but where are these world leaders going to? How are they going to give him the cash? Well, we do hear a do little bit heard of about that, that. Okay, where he says they have to be an un. They he gives them a location to drop unmarked diamonds, a hundred million okay. worth of unmarked diamonds. And that one fell at one point. They say get De Beers on the phone, the famous diamond company. Um, now, how he doesn't get caught picking up the diamonds, I don't know because they don't get that far in the movie. That was always my thing, where it's like that's always the thing with a ransom is someone has to pick it up. So I don't. Mm. Okay, um, but that that was the plan. Now I will say, I actually think this is not a bad plan because if they're putting real nuclear bombs on these planes and it's not that hard to hijack the plane. Everything through that part of the plan, I actually do think is a pretty decent bad guy James Bond plan. Um, you can disagree. Yeah. No, I, uh, I, I think that the 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 reality of it is what's stupid. Like the fact that the this is a real life that it's thing. plausible that it could happen yeah. is crazy. It should never get this far. No, yeah, it should never. But it just seems so absurdly simple, like a. a it's like evil, evil, evil genius bait, basically. Like yeah. this is like, of course, evil, You're evil mastermind would would fall on this right away. Like, but uh, yeah, as far as as far as Bond villain plans go, I don't think it's the craziest one. I think it's it's a lot better than uh, what was it? The, the next film we're going to talk about had a had a pretty absurd oh, plan. I thought we're probably so one of the worst ones, but yeah, um, yeah, I. I uh, I think it's even better. It's also better than From Russia with Love's incredibly complex. Oh, the lector. Yeah, and but also the blackmailing. Where yeah, the, the yeah. Um, I, this this definitely is uh is um is up there. There are some Bond films that I think have better plans. But oh, we're gonna for get sure. to one. Um, we're gonna get to one much later on. When we get to the Pierce Brosnan movies. I think is one of the best. Uh, villain Ooh. plans out there now but, i'm really curious because i think i don't know which one you're talking about some of them are very bad brosnan i'm curious don't spoil it i'm talking about goldeneye with the okay. giant space satellite okay. zapping people from space okay. that's the that's the best villain plan. which okay. by the way is a gimmick they use in another pierce brosnan movie that's right which yes, is crazy they, they bring it back uh, for die another day but the ice palace <laughs> damn them uh but no, there is a reason for that and we'll get to that i guess when we get to the movie but the the interesting thing so I agree the plan is interesting, but here's the thing about this movie, Matt. It's so long. It takes forever for anything to happen. This is like the most bloated film I've ever watched. It's so slow. 60s, Sean. It took me people two had, days to watch it. People had much better attention spans. It's because you're a millennial oh, and your attention all span. All of these movies are slow. I complained last week about the slow movies. This one was so slow. And you do you want to know why? Why is that? Because a quarter of the movie is underwater. underwater. Oh my god, Matt! Those diving scenes—I was like, it moves at half the speed of a regular scene. I couldn't believe it. 
I was, you know, they have, they have those scenes where they like go extract the bombs from the sunken plane and they pull them up and they, oh my god, I'm like I, I get it. You don't have to show me the whole thing. Drove me, drove me crazy. Drove me crazy. Yeah. They, they do have a lot of um. Who thought of, that was a good idea? Tell kind of things. They, they can't. You, the, this movie is way too much underwater. I, it's I, hard to see. Yeah. It, especially the night stuff. They do like night scuba diving. That yeah, that was a challenge. I I, I actually I remember that. I, maybe it was easier to see on like the big screen when the theater. But I had all I had a, I I actually had to adjust the brightness on my on my computer when I was watching. That was a hard scene to watch, the the underwater scuba diving particularly. I didn't think there were a whole lot of exciting um, vistas in this one. Not a whole lot of exciting landscapes. No, they were not pretty a lot exotic, at. but not that different from Doctor No. You know they're on they're on islands in the Caribbean, like right? Aren't they? Yeah, well, and and a, it's a and similar a, location. Is it the same? Are they are they in Jamaica again? Uh, it is the Back Bahamas. The, it's the Bahamas. The Bahamas this time. All right, so close, very you, close. You also have to remember there's a chunk of the movie that is based on the plane and hijacking the plane and recovering the plane. There's also that first chunk of movie where they're at the health spa. Which mm-hmm. is not a very interesting visually part of the movie, although we do get to see James Bond try to get murdered on that weird exercise shaking machine, the stretching machine. Yes, I have notes about that. Which yeah, was um, odd. I I wrote, <laughs> where are the safety regulations for this health spa? Like, why does the machine have settings that could kill you? Or how was it going to kill him? Was it going to give him a heart attack? Was that what the idea was? Well, was it going to work him out to death? So it's called a apparently this is a real machine that exists. They didn't make it up for the movie. It's a spinal what is it? It's a spinal traction machine. And what it does is it stretches the spine essentially. So I think it would would but it looked like it was spine. shaking him. So that's what I didn't understand. Right. He was going like up and down and back and forth. I guess it was it. just going to shake him to death? Yeah, that's that's what I I didn't yeah. I didn't really get that. I, and I, I don't know why, why they would build a machine that would be able to go up to that intensity on purpose. That just seems like a lawsuit. A lawsuit for the health spa and a lawsuit for the company that made the machine. I so, agree. Um, yeah. Um, does he does he use it to kill a henchman or something? How does he? Does it like he like he turns the tables in some way? He locks a guy in a sauna. Yes, that's right. He, with the broom. I don't classic. think he kills anybody on that machine specifically, mm-hmm. to my remembrance. Okay. He just escapes from it then. Yeah. 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 yeah that part was, uh, that part was there. This was, there's some really odd. Mo- I remember really enjoying this movie when I first saw it. It was like one of my favorite Bond movies. But now looking back, maybe it was just because there were a lot of cool one liners in this one. Oh, he for a sure. A lot, lot of cool one liners. Um, Eventually, when we get to we meet Domino, yep, right the uh, the the Bond girl of the movie, yep, um, portrayed by French actress Claudine Auger. When when we meet her, I think she's one of she's one of the better Bond girls. See, that's more funny. Like, I really I disagree. Like a, really, well, I felt so? she did not add a lot to the movie. I think she actually does things though. Like she, when when we get to the end, she kills the guy on the boat, the guy that killed her brother. Like she actually does that. Contrast her with Jill Masterson, 
from Diamonds Are Forever. Well, the Masterson twins sucked. Oh, Jill Masters. I'm sorry. I was from Goldfinger. Yeah. Um, Contrast her with uh, Tiffany, who is uh, on. um, See, I like Tiffany better. Diamonds Are Forever. Okay, that's that's very funny. I think I think because if you compare, basically, just all she does is get in the way. No, look, the, oh, and then she she act, she actively ruins one of Bond's plans. If you remember at the end of that movie, she yeah. actively like fucks it up. Here's the thing: I separate the character from the actor. Who's doing a better acting job? I think it's the woman playing Tiffany Case. Oh yeah, no, undoubtedly that's now. That's, which character is the better character? I still, at least Tiffany Case is interesting. For me, Domino was like a, just a generic Bond girl. There was no flavor to her. See, my, my thing about Domino is I think if you took her out of that film, I wanted to see more of her. I could have seen a whole ah, movie see, about Domino. It, to it, me, she, she was not interesting. A female secret agent, I, I thought. I thought she had, she, uh, she is, it's a rare, it's a rare occasion where a Bond girl, I think, has like the matched intellect and ability of bond himself Mm, that's interesting i don't know i think i think he like their chemistry doesn't exactly work and i think she (laughs) ultimately she just is there because bond needs a a side piece to end the movie with but um does it count if it's a side piece if he's not like married or well he's never married and well that's not true we're gonna Uh... find that out today too but um uh, he 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 uh, really does something really shitty, which is where I was I was going with this was that right after Domino's he finds out Domino's brother's killed uh, underwater right yep. he, scuba thing scuba incident he goes up and instead of telling Domino right away he he has sex with her first yeah and then he classic which is really shitty classic like that's oh my god like I I I watched that and I I. I felt disgusted at 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 all of these movies. <laughs> just, just he's a shitty guy. Scene. Just that one scene. And then what drives it me crazy really bothered me. What bothers me, and it happens across all these films, is Money Penny, who is like crazy obsessed with this guy. Like, marry me, and you're like, why? You could do better, honey. You don't well, do that. She, she leads a really boring life where she doesn't get to leave her desk. And then go her, get a different job. James Bond, Bond ain't your answer, honey. Come there's on. actually there are fan theories out there that the entire Bond character is written by Money Perry by Mon, Money Perry Money, Money Penny, Penny at her desk when she's bored at her job. Like she's like making all of it up, and that's why because she knows M and she knows like how the MI6 works. That's like awesome. she's writing all of this stuff. I love I, that theory. Someday I, I secretly hope that if they, if there ever comes to be like a final James Bond movie, it's all going to somehow be revealed to be like books that Money Penny was writing as like a side gig. Just just being really bored at her desk with like, like a typewriter. I would watch that. Mhm. Um now, But yeah, this whole time Money Penny is just kind of chilling in London. Yeah, not a lot of action. Um, no. I'm trying to think of other exciting sets pieces from this film. Bond gets shot in the ankle, escapes through a Junkanoo celebration to the Kiss Kiss Club, yep. and then he's dancing with the with the dead body and kind of just lays it on the chair. It just an odd sequence. Oh yeah, he puts it on the chair and and then he's like, oh, she was tired or something like that. Yeah, she had a little too much. A little too much. Yeah, very um, casual approach to to someone dying in your arms there. Yeah. Yeah. 
this movie was dark. This, it this was. Movie went to some dark places, not it just was. literally, but. Well, how many people got eaten by sharks in a swimming pool? Two, three, right. couple. I, they it kind of preempted Jaws a little bit there. Yep, the swimming pool filled with sharks. Sharks, Classic. yeah. Um, I don't really have too much else to say. I I wrote that there's a lot of Austin Powers influences here. Like you could see a lot of where, I think where they drew their inspiration for the Austin Powers character. I mean, that's true of, of many of these Bond movies, but I think this is the one of the first earliest ones, especially the Dr. No character blow, introducing Blofeld and all that um, as, a, uh, as a significant threat. You know, one thing I had in my notes here is that in these later movies – um, especially Bond has a lot more interaction with the villains throughout the course of the movie. We talk in Dr. No, he's like in the last five minutes of the movie. Um, and even in from Russia with love, it's kind of, there's not a ton of that, but as you get into these later movies, he, he is interacting with the villain in the first 30 minutes and then constantly tags along with the villain throughout the entire film when he should be killed constantly. And I noticed that's really starting heavily in this film. Um, yeah, <laughs> you, you also see it in Goldfinger where he kind of plays the Jerry to Goldfinger's Tom. Yeah. He's just like constantly antagonizing him. He's kind of like the, the road runner. Yeah. A little bit. He's well, just constantly bothering Goldfinger and messing up his shit. And Goldfinger just gets tired of it eventually. Like, uh, that's that, but, but he, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a departure from Dr. No say where, uh, you don't you don't see the villain until the very end. He's kind of like this mysterious figure. Speaking of a mysterious figure, um, I I like how this film portrays Blofeld, the yeah. cla- very classic Blofeld. Just, like you don't see his face at Love all. And he's you just got the cat, the image of him just petting the cat. I think they should have stayed like that. That they should have they should have definitely. Uh, Maybe maybe considered keeping that for a little bit longer. Maybe not not permanently, but I mean, he gets revealed in the next movie, which is okay. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about <laughs> we'll talk about. Um, I guess when we get to Diamonds Are Forever, where, where that goes. But uh, well, I will say about Blofeld. We'll talk about him plenty. But of these six movies we've watched so far, he is my favorite character, and I include James Bond in that. Wow. I am all in on Blofeld. <laughs> the only good villain so far, but we'll we'll get more into that. Um, I, we can wrap up Thunderball here. Uh, just one other thing I wanted to note that was in my notes was that as much as I didn't like the underwater stuff as much, one thing I did really appreciate was that big end fight where the, the, the army scuba guys are coming in and there's like a dozen of them and a dozen of the bad guys and there's this big fight and they shoot it really wide so you see five or six fights going on at the same time, I thought was not only a great shot, but what amazed me is there's a section of it. It's not the whole thing, but there's a section of it with no music. All you hear is the kind of air sounds of the scuba tanks and a little bit of water sound, and there's no music. And it actually was kind of a neat moment to see this sort of old school film, no CGI, nothing. These guys are fighting on real scuba guys fighting underwater, and you're just hearing the sounds of what they're hearing. I like that moment a lot. Didn't like much of the underwater stuff. I did really like that. Yeah. Um, me too. Uh, especially because you don't, you don't see that 
at all nowadays. And but I do think if if a film were to bring that back, I would say it would get a lot of acclaim. Well, there, actually, there I don't was, think it would get a lot of it would get a lot of tra- re- re- rebuttal. I think it would get a lot of acclaim. Well, there was that great moment in uh, the Last Jedi where they famously dropped out the sound. Oh yeah, yeah, um, which was which was a great moment. Mm-hmm. So you know, people don't. It's always boom, 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 boom. You know, dramatic right. sounds. Doesn't well, we always have to be that, that way all the time. Yeah, yeah. that. It, but it, I thought, yeah, it made it. It kind of made it a, a, like more iconic in a way. That fight does get recreated in a later Bond film, and you can look for this when we go when we see Moonraker. Mm-hmm. That same fight, it not it choreographed the exact same way, but very. There are a lot of parallels, but it's in space instead of being underwater. So we have to keep your eyes out for that. Looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. But we have to move on to our next film, 1967's yeah. You Only Live Twice. Uh, Sean Connery returns to the role, directed by Lewis Gilbert, his first James Bond film. Uh, he will go on to direct uh, two more of the Roger Moore films starting in 77 and 79. Uh, you Only Live Twice went on to gross $111.6 million at the box office, a pretty big success there. Um it was interesting. Uh, Sean Connery believed this would be his last Bond film, and he reluctantly came back for Diamonds Are Forever. So, um, could have been his last. Um, yeah, interesting movie, Matt. Interesting movie. Uh, yeah. Oh wow. Where Where do we begin with this one? Well, the movie, and it's interesting. Of all the James Bond movies, they tend to jump around. This one pretty much exclusively takes place in Japan. There's not a lot of other locations the movie takes place in no that's interesting that you mentioned that it it really is pretty much all there um and i wonder if that's just because japan at the time was such a such an exotic location itself they didn't really feel the need to bounce around too much maybe they just also i mean just from the from the realistic perspective of filming it you know japan is kind of when once you get to japan it's not like it's not like it is today where you can just pick up and fly to some other place and be there in in a, like a short time i'm sure that the flights were exhausting and you know if you were going to be in japan you were going to film in japan like well it would just be exhausting for it to have to travel with all the crew cast and crew around i i would think yeah, I mean, my first thought on that was Sean Connery was tired of doing these films and just didn't want to fly around a lot. Mm-hmm. But apparently, according to Wikipedia, um, in the original novel this is based on, it, it, it does take place almost entirely in Japan and is very heavy on Japanese culture. So they just kind of just mirrored the book. Okay. So, which is a good Makes enough sense. reason for me. Um, one other interesting fact about this movie, do you know who wrote the screenplay? Well, the oh, adaptation? Well- Roll Dahl. Roll Dahl. Charlie the and the Chocolate Factory, yeah. Matilda, the BFG, James and the Giant Peaches. Roll Dahl, his first ever screenplay. Yep. Yeah, I, I made a note of that. Uh, they talk about it a little in the book. Um, I thought that was very fascinating. And uh, it led me to think about like more Bond films, what they would have been like if they had had some outside screenplay from like famous authors. I sure. Sure. The um, this movie and the previous movie Thunderball are two parts of a trilogy 
that also included On Her Majesty's Secret Service, like a book trilogy. Yes. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is the one that takes place first, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a um, – yeah, so it, it would it would it goes on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Then you only live twice. Wait, I'm forgetting the order. But basically, the reason that they filmed this movie um, after was because of the legal dispute, like we mentioned before. Um, Screwed after, up the order. Kind of, yeah, it kind of messed the order up a little bit. Um, and it also was because there was there was very little snow in Switzerland that year. Uh, in 1966, 67, uh, Switzerland experienced a record low of snowfall. Mm-hmm. So because of that, they didn't want to film in Switzerland. So they decided to film You Only Live Twice. Uh, they saved the Switzerland filming On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which they did next, the next film in the in the series. So the weather had a hand in it too. Yeah. Um, you know, it was funny when the first note I have here for this movie, um, and this comes up a lot in James Bond films of this time. Remember when space was a big deal? Yeah. Remember people really cared a lot about space. They go yeah, to that well a lot in these movies. Is is this the one where they visit the, um, the moon landing facility or that might be in, um, diamonds, diamonds, are forever. diamonds are forever with, yeah. the, with, with the moon buggy chase. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was very great. Yeah. No, this is the one where yeah. So let's let's talk about the bad guys' plan in this because yeah. I have issues. the The movie starts off with the uh, U.S. astronauts. They're they're doing their first moonwalk. They're out in space, and then a bigger rocket comes up and swallows their rocket, and it disappears from the radar. Of course, U.S. thinks Russia did it. A little while later, Russia launches a capsule. That one gets eaten. They think the U.S. Yeah. did it. So now it's they're like, like a big fish, little fish, like yeah. <laughs> swallows it. Yep. And what we later find out is that they're taking those rockets and they're bringing them back to their secret volcano base in Japan on a Japanese island. And they are kidnapping the astronauts slash cosmonauts um, and are holding them hostage and are planning to replace them. That's. Kind of what I they they like steal all their gear. Yeah, and, and they have like standards. The, they're gonna fly the ships. It was basically a giant um, shell game, kind of like yeah. They the uh, Spectre was doing this the whole time, obviously, and making it look like it was the Soviets who were capturing the American astronauts. And America capturing Soviet cosmonauts. So they basically they were like trying to escalate the Cold War. Yes, that was the plan was to inflate tensions. Right, right, right. Which is one of the it's I think it's one of the Spectre goals on there. If you look at the acronym, yeah. one of them is like agitate or something. I don't know. Um but the overall goal isn't isn't really that clear, I think. Like other than pissing off both of the world powers at the time, what else are you accomplishing? But I don't I don't even have a problem with that goal cuz I'm like, all right, if you're going to be bad, like I guess you can do that. The issue with is this is the most convoluted way to do it. Like you had to build rocket technology better than what NASA and Russia has. Just what's amazing to me, Matt, this is the exact 
same goal Dr. No had in the first movie when he was disrupting the rocket signals. It was to screw with the space programs. That's so much easier. <laughs> Do that. Steal the bombs from the NATO plane, like well, the previous bomb, movie. Why bombs don't getting was... more popular. Maybe maybe Spectre had a bigger budget this time around. He hollowed out a damn volcano sure and built did. a helipad rocket pad with a monorail. Matt, how did the <laughs> How did the Japanese government let him like do all that? I don't like nobody know. asked any questions. Like Japan is a is a pretty organized, like efficient country. It's not it's not just some island. It's it's not like how Doctor No was just like this mad scientist living out in the bay. In you know, Japan is like a real like place nation. Yeah, like they they somebody would have had to should have noticed, but I guess not. I guess they were too busy. Giving each other sponge baths. Yeah. No, the, the plan really, really aggressively bothered me that you you can't, you can't, you can't do that plan. That's just not, way, I were way overcomplicated plan. Dr. No was doing the same thing one million percent easier. <laughs> um, one thing I will say about this movie, that was a huge plus, an upgrade from Thunderball. Um, and I think might have been the best at, the, at doing this in the franchise was the scenery. I thought this had great, it yeah. had great shots. It had really great shots. Um, especially when bond is flying the little gadget thing. The yes. Little the little chopper, copter, the little mini copter. Yes. I, I wrote or, was it big Bertha, big Bertha. It had, it had no, some li- kind of li- like little Nelly, little, little Nelly. Nelly. Yeah. Little Nelly. Yeah. Um, one accused best gadgets in my opinion. Um, He's flying little Nelly, and and it actually flew. That was a, that was a, like the like the like the jetpack was an actual functioning uh, device that you could actually fly. Again, I don't think it was Sean Connery doing the flying, but mm-hmm. um, whoever was doing the flying got some really great shots of uh, you know a Japanese fishing village, uh, some volcanoes and scenery around uh, around uh, Japan. I thought it was a, it was very good visuals in this movie. Well, interestingly enough, um, that helicopter chase, which I agree, looked pretty good. Um, it took more than 85 takeoffs, five hours of flight, and uh, the uh, minicopter almost crashing into the camera several times. At one point, there was a major downdraft, and cameraman John Jordan's foot was severed by the craft's rotor. Whoa. Cut off his foot. And so the, he, uh, the concluding shots with the explosions were actually shot in Spain because they weren't able to do it with the uh, Japanese government. So, no fun fact. And, and you know, speaking of beautiful scenes, the Spectre's volcano base, it was built for a cost at the time of $1 million, including a real working heliport and monorail. Um, it was a 148-foot-tall set that could be seen from three miles away. That it was, looked impressive. This was, yeah, and this was the era. We're getting into the this is the era of um, big budget set pieces. Yeah, you know, not before long you're gonna have um, what was the the one that was really famous? Oh, why am I forgetting it now? Queen of the Nile, maybe the the Egyptian movie Ishtar. Maybe, no, maybe okay. it was Ishtar. I yeah. thought it was Queen of the Nile. It, it was be. that the one that had the extremely expensive set piece that was like. Basically, yes. they recreated like an entire Egyptian city pretty yeah, much like from that. scratch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, someone out there, one of our viewers, maybe you'll 
will, will know what, what we're talking about. But this was this was the time period when you had stuff like that. No, no green screens, no computers. Like if you wanted a, a fantastic set, you had to build it from the like from the ground up. And and I think that's that's a lost art. It's very cool. Yeah, it worked well in this film. It was a good looking movie. Yeah. Um, Matt, can we talk about how this film treats the Japanese culture? If we must. I mean, I, I feel really bad watching this movie. It makes me like feel bad to be a Westerner. That's what I wrote in my notes. Makes me feel bad to be from the West. Everything that James Bond does or says or makes the other Japanese cast members do or say just makes me feel really shitty about I, everything. Yeah. Can, can I read you some quotes from the movie? Go right ahead. Okay. Bond is being bathed by women in a tub. Tiger, Tiger Tanaka, his his Japanese counterpart, says, uh, you know what it is about you that fascinates them, don't you? It's the hair on your chest. Japanese men all have beautiful bare skin, James Bond says. Chinese, uh, Japanese proverbs say, bird never make nest in bare tree. And I wrote in my notes, they're talking about Japanese men not having chest hair. What is happening? What is happening? I literally out loud was like, what is happening? This is crazy. And other from that scene, um, from earlier in that scene, uh, Tiger says, my friend, now you take your first civilized bath. And Bond is surrounded by four young Japanese women wearing only bras and panties. Bond says, oh, I like the plumbing. Tiger says, place yourself entirely in their hands, my dear Bond-san. Rule number one is never do anything yourself when someone else can do it for you. And Bond says in number two, and Tiger says, rule number two, in Japan, men come first, women come second. And Bond says, I just might retire to here. (laughs) Talk about uh, tourism for Japan, huh? Those tourism for horny middle-aged American men just going through the roof. I mean, it's so gross. Wow. Yeah. Um, everything oh, about the way they do this movie treats the Japanese culture is pretty awful. They try to make up for it with those beautiful scenery shots, but I don't think that was intentional. I think they unintentionally like would help themselves out by being like, hey, Japan is actually a really cool, beautiful place. They also have a lot of like I wrote that they add a lot of technology in this movie. Yes. If you very notice, high tech. There's a lot of a lot of high tech stuff. The, the vid- video tech, phone and the car and all made by Sony. Did you see all the, the yeah. Sony, uh, product, Sony placement. Got its product placement on? Which is funny because Sony ended up owning James Bond. Yeah. Yeah. So it was it was pretty cool. It was cool to uh, to see that. I, I saw the little there was a little video screen where he, he watched that scene. We have to talk about, too, uh, where the, the 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 helicopter comes over and picks up the man's car on the magnet. <laughs> <laughs> flies it away. I forgot about that. And then it just like flies it away and it, it um Yeah. Um I guess it dumps it in the ocean or something. What was the in, a, in like but, a river? Yeah. But Bond watched the whole thing on his handy screen. He didn't have to do that. I no. guess he, that's how he got his chuckles. He wanted to be know it would be done. He had the little screen that had the uh the Sony product placement underneath, and he watched the whole thing, probably oh cackling with, with joy. That was bonkers. The whole time. Yeah. So Yeah. Um, I, I don't know why they only used it there. Remember how when we get later in the film when um, there's the, the, the uh, they're at the volcano and Bond tells the girl to run 
back and tell everybody and she literally runs all the way back to the down the, the volcano yes down the volcano why couldn't the plane come and pick her up there and like you, you would have thought they would like she still had the tracker i don't know yeah. but it only comes in for that one scene where it, where it picks up the car because it just it looks really cool and they wanted to do that a very so. james bond thing um uh, one other one other moment and this is a totally true moment this actually happened to me while i was watching this movie because I got so frustrated with the cultural stuff that at one point um, he's meeting with Tiger outside um, and he says, uh, as they're there meeting, he says, um, we'll need, uh, Bond says, I'll need your best commandos. And he says, oh, I have something better. And I literally said out loud, please don't say ninjas. And the next word he said was ninjas. I'm like, no, no. I, uh, I, well, I, you, you had to know that they were going to pull I literally said, I said, he's going to say ninjas. And he goes, ninjas. I'm like, fuck. I couldn't, oh. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, we can talk about James Bond getting plastic surgery to look more Japanese with the, with oh, the yeah. bad wig. Oh boy. He did not look Japanese. He, he looked terrible. He, he looked like just, just a shitty terrible. British man. He looked like a Neanderthal. The the makeup just made him look unattractive. He looked oh, like yeah. an unattractive version of Sean Connery. Like but Sean like, Connery's ugly cousin, basically. What was that for? Like, exactly. What was that helping? Exactly. I, I I wrote that down right here. I wrote I wrote down uh the the um the costume literally does nothing. Because the they the assassin goes in to poison him right at like in the next scene, so they still know that he's Bond. The this guy is yeah. not fooling anybody, and then he kills it kills the girl instead, the first uh, Bond girl. Um, but then in the next scene, oh, he he uh, he's walking on the dock right, and and he passes another Japanese person, and he he says to him. Um, Ohio gozaimasu in the most British Western sounding way possible. Like, like he's, yeah. he's like Ohio gozaimasu. Like it, now yeah. you're not fooling anybody. No, even it's with ridiculous. that stupid costume. Oh, what oh hey, that, that new guy who's never been in our small remote fishing <laughs> village before. I think there's something up with him. Yeah. He, how, I, I would just imagine them like, what, what is his deal? Yeah. Like, what's up with this really, guy? Does he really think that we'd think he's Japanese? You sure you want to marry him? And by the way, can I just say about the marriage? And I, I, yeah. this ended up in my notes. Why do they have to get married for real? Like, why not just pretend to be married? Right. Why not just make it an assumed cover? Why they actually go through with the whole Shinto ceremony and everything? It's crazy. Yeah. Yep. Yep. They do. And and there's a there's that scene where Bond is like looking all pissed and disgusted. He doesn't want to end up married to one of these women. And of course, like the first woman is older. And but then it, I guess it turns out that that's just the woman's mom or something. Mm-hmm. And then when he sees the girl, he's like, oh, okay. Oh, like, yeah, I'm that was really that. bad where he where mm-hmm. Tiger was making the joke like, oh, we'll have you marry an ugly woman. And then they show these women like pretending they're the ugly ones. And <laughs> yeah. I'm like, they weren't even that ugly. I'm like, this is really rude. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think the women knew, like, when they were casting for this movie, did they say, like, we need a moderately, a moderately to to unattractive woman? Yes. Like, oh, it's a, I'm here to read for the role of unattractive unattra- Japanese woman. <laughs> Blow to the self-esteem, but I guess if if it f- puts food on the table, you could have been one of those Japanese women bathing bonds. So yes. I don't know. <laughs> yes. 
I'm I'm just reminded of, of this line from Tiger. Uh, first to to James Bond about the plan. First, you become a Jap a Japanese. Second, you train hard and quickly to become a ninja like us. And third, to give you extra special cover, you take a wife. Okay, I don't like any of those <laughs> steps of this plan. None of those are good. And James Bond like does become a ninja in like three days. Yeah, I guess he he doesn't follow like the method of uh, of. Uh, Batman, right? When Batman does all that, that takes him, I think it takes him like literally months, maybe years. But he's Bond, so in three days is all, and he's good. Yeah. So that's about all I have for um, for You Only Live Twice. Um, I what, will, what did you think? I will say, yeah, I, just a couple other things. Um, I did think... This is kind of the first time they try a James Bond death fake out at the beginning of the movie where he's killed mildly interesting. Oh yeah. The opening scene was all right. Where yeah. he gets shot in the bed. Mm-hmm. They put him in the big, they have like a full funeral for him and they bury him at sea. Yeah. Uh, I, I had a qualm with that because if you're a secret agent, I don't think you get like a full burial. Well, I'm, but, I'm pretty sure they just, it's like a quiet thing i don't know but i don't I, think they would make a big deal out of that it. that might be part of the cover though because the newspaper headline says commander james bond dies oh okay so, so he might have like, had a cover oh, in the military yeah that would make sense because he does have like a naval outfit on when he gets rescued by m yeah after what, the fake what fake. bothered me most is so then he gets in the sub they take him into the submarine and he says permission to come aboard very funnily uh, when he's getting out of the back but then they put him in a scuba suit and then they put him in a torpedo thing and shoot him out of the torpedo thing can you do that with a person i think it would wouldn't it it would probably rupture your blood vessels you'd with get the, like, like difference in pressure you'd get the bends and it would probably like you'd have like gas bubbles in your I, in your intestines and shit that's it would another not one of those good. i don't think you can do that no, you I don't think do that. They, they did that the right thing there. Also, they're they're taking an incredible risk because he floats all the way down to like the depths of the ocean. They pick him up on like basically the ocean floor. Yeah, the pre- the pressure change alone. He's not in it. He's not in a scuba suit. He's in just like a regular dude's outfit. Yep. He could have easily have, have drowned. Or, I mean, you also have to hope that he can hold his breath because he's he's just in like a like a plaster tomb basically. Like a giant body cast is what it looked like. Yeah. In, in, yeah, like a mummy, like a sarcophagus. So um, you also better hope like fish, like a, like a whale doesn't come and eat him or something. No. I, I mean, that'd be exciting, but. I guess everything all went He all fights went his way right out way. of Well, things always go the right way for that guy. He's the luckiest man alive. Um, the one other thing I noted, and then we can move on, and this is true of all the James Bond movies, but I really started to appreciate it in this movie is you got to give credit to his get in the middle of it strategy of screwing stuff up like James Bond doesn't ever hold back he just gets in there you know when when he wants to do you know it's like oh how do I get in there he just walks through the front door like sure. I kind of have to appreciate that about him and he, like in and we'll talk about diamonds are forever but when he goes into the laser development lab and pretends to be the he just walks in like good for oh, him yeah. don't don't wait for backup don't hold out just get in there and screw shit up I think that's great. Yeah. I do he appreciate right, that. He gets right into the volcano and he dresses up like one of the astronauts. He rescues all the other guys. Uh, the the uh, astronauts that are being held captive there, he just b- barges right in. Yeah. 
it's not really that long before he gets captured, though, which it was I thought really funny. Like he doesn't he doesn't really achieve anything. But I mean, I guess after rescuing the astronauts, but like he puts the spacesuit on and he's lining up like he's gonna go on this like. I rocket. was kind of hoping he was gonna get away with it too. I was. <laughs> and he's almost excited. he almost goes into space, but then Blofeld figures out who he is and and he brings him, and then they have the face to face moment and. Well, yeah, that's the that's the line. No astronaut would enter the, enter the capsule carrying his air conditioner. Blofeld calls oh, him out. Oh, yeah. Right. And, of course, also, this, he's, yeah. we, we get heavy Blofeld in this movie as well. We get the cat. We get the piranha tank. I mean, there's a lot going on. Something I thought was kind of neat, and I don't know if this was poetic or if they just did it to be silly, but when Bond blows his – or not blows his cover, when he when – he, um, the way that he escapes the Blofeld situation – after he gets captured is he has a mousetrap in his pocket, in his front pocket. Yes. The guy goes to like take his gun and it like, oh, I got hit I by a mousetrap. that. You fool. And then like they fight. I wonder if that's some kind of like allusion to like a cat and mouse game because Blofeld has the cat. Maybe. I didn't and, think like, about Bond that. the mouse, but he's using the trap against it. I don't know. I thought I thought there, there could be a little bit of a poetry in there or they just did it to be funny. I don't know. Where did he get a mouse trap anyway? I, I think it was like a Q gadget more than like a mouse trap because it okay. didn't it didn't look like a traditional mouse trap. It was some kind of fingered mouse trap or something. Yeah, which is kind of a good idea because movie, I'm, yeah, I'm surprised that they didn't go the way of like the Chinese finger trap. Uh, they wouldn't care that it was mm. actually Chinese. The, this movie doesn't care about shit. No, it's very insensitive. Let's move on yeah. to a movie that makes much more sense. Uh, the mm. 1971 film, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, interestingly enough, technically not the next James Bond film, for those paying close attention. We're skipping on Her Majesty's Secret Service with George Lazenby. We're going to save that and do a Timothy Dalton, George Lazenby combo film, um, combo episode. Uh, and we're going to chug along to Diamonds Are Forever. Obviously, Sean Connery didn't return for the previous film. To get him back, they paid him a then-record $1.25 million salary to return. Uh, Shirley Basie also returns, performs the vocals on the Diamonds Are Forever theme song. This movie primarily taking place in the United States. That's interesting because uh, director Guy Hamilton returns uh, to the franchise. Guy Hamilton directed the other James Bond movie that takes place heavily in America, Goldfinger, um, as well. Movie grossed $116 million at the box office. Um, and the final appearance of Spectre um, until the 2015 film of the same name. Mm. Now you saw um, you saw a director coming in for his knowledge of um, American culture and things like that. Yeah. Uh, you also saw the very first American Bond girl. Yes. Um, Absolutely. Tiffany. The great like, Jill St. John. Jill St. John, yes. Um but you also there was a, um, rumors going around at the time that they uh, that Connery was finished. Connery was he he had already you know not come back uh, to do Honor Majesty's Secret Service. They replaced him with George Lazenby. Uh, Lazenby had been signed on for seven more films, um, but his agent stepped in and advised him to uh, to, to not do that. Advise yep. him against playing Bond ever again. He said Bond was through. This is the culture of the sixties. This is the, the hippie culture. The seventies are going to be much more like peace and love. People don't want to see Bond and spies and espionage and people are sick of the cold war. So don't, you know, don't, don't do this Bond nonsense. People are done with it. So that was, and Lazenby took his advice and, and stepped, stepped away. 
Um, you had the vacuum. A lot of people were speculating that it would be filled by an American actor that would play James Bond in the next film. Absolutely. They, so they considered the, uh, Adam West, Burt mm-hmm. Reynolds, which would have been amazing. Sure. Yeah, I could totally have seen Burt Reynolds. If anybody that was alive at the time, Burt Reynolds would have been like my top, probably my top uh, pick there. Oh, that would have been crazy. Yeah. But. Connery comes back. Connery, yeah, Connery comes back. Um, eventually, the the directors, producers, rather, they just pretty much beg him to come back, and, and he says no. And they say, we'll pay you like a shit ton of money for at the time, and he says, okay. And that's how they get him. What is it? Four? What was it? How much money was it? 1.25 million 1. Uh, then record. Oh. Yep, at that time. And an agreement for United Artists to back two films of his choice moving forward. It was a good deal for him. It was. But God, he looked old. I wrote that down. Bond is looking old. He's looking he old in this movie. He was looking a little seasoned for sure. Um, definitely, definitely aged him in here. But then I also wrote down uh, less than two minutes in and he's strangling a woman with her b- bikini. So yep. did not hold back. This one opens very violently. Yes. It's got a, it's got like a, like a violent opening. He's bond is going all over the world in different places. He's looking for Blofeld. People up, killing people, looking for Blofeld. He's hunting. He's trying to hunt him down. Um, people were, so this is, this could be read one of two ways. Um, I think when people were watching this in the theaters, their initial thought was thinking after what happens at the end of the previous movie, should I spoil that or are we going to save that for another time? Actually, don't spoil it because I've never seen it. So something happens at the end of Honor Majesty's Secret Service that would make Bond very angry Mm -hmm. and 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 naturally make him extremely violent in in this situation and would also make him seek revenge. So a lot of people sitting in the theaters were probably thinking this is a holdover from the um, the last movie, which we hadn't really seen before. You're right. I mean, you had like the 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 prospect of Spectre and um, Blofeld uh, carrying over throughout each film, but we didn't have like a directly like you could put these two films back to back and have like one be a can't condition into another yet. Mm-hmm. We see that we get to see that with later films. I think Casino Royale and uh, Quantum of Solace just stick out in my yes, mind. Yes, they do. One, one very much transitions into the next. Um, but with um, with this one, it, it's actually the the movie goes very, very much out of its way to pretend like Honor Majesty's Secret Service never happened. That basically the last movie was You Only Live Twice. So I didn't feel like I missed it, anything. Yeah, you really didn't because the movie the movie went out of its way to pretty much ignore the events of On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which was to the chagrin of a lot of Bond fans because they a lot of people put um, Majesty as one of their favorites uh, of the series, despite the departure from Connery. Uh, it's a very impactful movie and it, it presents Bond in a very different way uh, than any of the previous films, and it, it tackles a lot of concepts that that Bond Bond never really went to again until until the Craig Bonds, um, but with with Diamonds he it starts out Bond beating people up and it's it's pretty much eventually figured out that he's just looking for Blofeld. That's just his his mission is to find Blofeld who escaped at the end of You Only Live Twice uh, again, and Bond is tired of it. 
He finally does find Blofeld, Sean. Uh, the bikini top woman tells him exactly where to find him, and he does. And he kills him. Yes. which he Straight up murders him in the first scene. Can I be honest with you? Yeah. I bought it. I wrote, in my, I wrote in my notes, because these are sequential. I, you know, you write them as you watch a movie. I wrote, Blofeld goes out like a chump. <laughs> I actually thought he was dead. Because I, I thought today they wouldn't do that. But I'm like, maybe back in the early 70s, it was like they didn't think about keeping characters around. And they're like, because every James Bond movie, they don't carry characters over. So I'm like, I didn't think they would keep him around. Did it, did it, um, did it, it, when you, when you realized that it was a different character, cause the, a different actor. See, did I that, didn't realize it was a different actor. Oh, cause okay. I am I not, say, I do not pay close enough attention. How did that inform your decision? Like, no. I, I, you, I genuinely that, thought they were the same. Cause I could have seen that going two different ways. I could have seen, oh, this, this is a different actor playing Blofeld. That means that they're setting him up to have a bigger role. Because they wouldn't have hired an actor who was actually pretty well known at the time. He's not. He's not just a nobody. But you know, it's also a series um, where the last James Bond movie had a different guy playing James Bond. Right, and and another another way you could have gone. Another way you could have approached it was just they didn't get the guy from the last movie, so, so they this kill guy him off. Is just some it's just some guy that yeah. they killed off yeah. playing Blofeld because maybe the other guy didn't want to be in a movie where Blofeld dies. But you bought it, huh? I, I bought a hook, line, and sinker, 100%, and literally got, like, most of the way through the movie before I was like, oh, shit. So was that, a, was that like, a, was that like a true reveal then? Like a true no, I had twist it, when you I find had out it, he's still alive? I had it a little bit before. That's one thing I actually really liked about this movie, and I think I, I note it. They don't begin on the evil plan part of the movie, and I check the clock, until one hour and 40 minutes in. Because by the time you actually get to the space laser, which is, let's be real, the actual plan, it's so late in the movie because it's mostly a diamond smuggling movie for most of it. Right. I, so, I thought that was the plan until the laser showed up. And I loved that about this. I'm like, that's awesome. So few movies do that. That's great. Keep me in suspense. And that's why I thought Blofeld was dead because I'm like, Blofeld has nothing to do with smuggling diamonds. Like, this is so not his, right. his business. Like, what would he... And then as soon as it started getting into the the evil space stuff, I'm like, mm, maybe he does come back, and lo and behold, he does. Um, yeah, you know, for me, for me, this movie was very manic. It was very manic because on one hand, and this goes back to the director, um, Guy Hamilton, who directed the uh, first, uh, who directed Goldfinger. It was like half good, legit spy movie, because when I think about there's that great scene where Tiffany takes his fingerprint off the glass and compares him like, that's real spy shit. Like, that's cool. I was on board. And then that awesome and I mean awesome elevator fight scene that I thought that was shot. You so rarely see fights in that confined space. And the way it was shot was excellent, I thought. Um, I was very, very pleased with it. And so those sorts of things, I'm like, that's classic. That's like a classic spy movie. But then they do this like bonkers stuff. Like, can we talk about Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid for a minute? Sure. Yes. What was going on with that? Um, That was bizarre. (laughs) It was like zany almost. Yeah. A lot of people 
So a lot of people in the fandom would consider this to be the start of what they call campy Bond, which really spans the entire Roger Moore era. Um, and th- but but people believe that it began with this, and sure. they're, they're, the thinking is that it's um it's now a new decade. All right, this movie came out in, in 1971, and they're thinking that they want to bring they want to kind of move Bond into a different direction. But it goes against the philosophy of the producers who who recruited Sean Connery to come back for this movie, basically because they needed a lot of money because Honor Majesty's Secret Service didn't do well in the box offices, didn't do well as they hoped, mm-hmm. um, and You Only Live Twice didn't really do as well either. Um, no, no, basically, neither of them had nothing had compared to the success of Thunderball, and they really needed a, a win. They really needed a win. So, what do they do? They go and get the winner. They got Sean Connery. But the campy, zany stuff was never his thing. It was never his shtick. So a lot of the times when you watch this movie, and and I only realized it on this watch through, Connery is very apparently mailing in a lot of his performance. Oh, sure. This is not – this is probably – I would say probably Connery's worst acting in a Bond movie. He's, he's- it's It's a combination of his age and I think he just doesn't – he just isn't with the new Bond in this – the way that they're, they're writing for him. I don't even think he's in my top five favorite things about this movie. I mean I don't I, – I just – he's not a big part of it. Like you take for a perfect example the scene where he's in bed with, um, with Tiffany and he – like the first time they're in bed together. Like if this were a previous Bond movie, there would be more like – it would just – it would – there be the lighting would be different. It would be more um, not romantic, but well, the be chemistry between the chemistry like between that. them was not off the charts in this. No, Bond just he comes across as like kind of this like sleazy. Yep, the ashtray on his chest, and it doesn't <laughs> look very Bond. It's it just looks like some some dude. I don't know, uh, sleeping around, but um. Yeah, I guess they they didn't really hammer out a direction, and and those those two villains that you mentioned, um, they they they're they're very campy. They're very like kind of they're out odd. of uh, left field. They're odd. Yes, they are. And the, the Bambi and Thumper kind of are oh my contrast. God. Oh my I god! Why they, I don't even know why they're in the movie. Oh at my all, god! It's so and like what's crazy about them? Who they are is their fight yeah. moves are so telegraphed ahead of time because they backflip from across the room. Just get out of the way! Like well, they're gymnasts. That's it's what, crazy. This is the part of the camp. It's part of the camp, but they they don't explain. They don't do a good job of explaining who they are or why they're. The why they're against no. Bond, they're just henchmen that have, happen to have names. No, they're goons essentially. Right. I mean, they're it's goons. it's it's. I mean, got to be some of the worst villains in in the Bond canon. I mean, they're they're just. I liked them. They were entertaining, but they were annoying, and they would show up and Win and Kid basically only spoke in one-liners, mm-hmm. which was. You know, very moving, heartwarming, glowing. <laughs> you know, and they talk in that like weird way. They're just yeah. There's like serial killers or something. Yes, they come off yeah. as like upsettingly weird. Yes, and I don't. If I, God had wanted man to fly, he would have given him wings, Mister Kid. It's like what is? <sighs> yeah, very uncomfortable stuff there. Um, 
I, I wrote that they look like they reminded me of the Mythbusters. Yeah, that actually that's really I didn't, <laughs> I didn't think about that. That's very the good. The way they looked, I, I was like the Mythbuster twins. That is so, very funny. Um, yeah, I I wasn't okay with I wasn't okay with the way they were portrayed in this one either. I mean, they're very clearly supposed to be homosexual. Okay, good. So I, I wasn't the, the only one. Okay, I was gonna say I don't know if you got the, if you got that, but they they hold hands at some points. So that obviously means well, that they're gay. There's that, and there's that. That's the only, you know? Well, but there's yeah. two references that I caught. Because there was that, and then there was the line on the plane where he says, they're both aboard. I must say, Miss Case seems quite attractive for a lady, and then gazes oh, at the other guy, right. and he chuckles. I didn't I didn't get that And part. I thought that line was weird, and I'm like, oh, they're supposed to be a thing. In the very first scene that they're shown, they when they kill that guy with the scorpion, which was really... <laughs> he put it they down put, his shirt. And he like totally overacts and over oh oh he gets so dramatic about it. Um you know in the actually the way that the scene was supposed to be written they were supposed to put the scorpion in his mouth. Yep. So that would have been really horrific I guess for the 70s. That's so a shame they didn't do that. They put it down his back instead. Um yeah they they like walk off holding hands with each other. Um but I was really uncomfortable in the end the way that they that they died. Um, where one of them gets lit on fire and then Bond skewers the other one up the butt with a skewer. <laughs> yes. Like that, that shouldn't, that would, that's not okay. Like if you're going to do that, that's, that wouldn't be okay today for sure. Oh that's definitely, God. uh, they think they, th- this is another, another case of them not being the most sensitive when it comes to anything. No, definitely not. But also, so. you know, they try and kill him with a bomb under a cake. A surprise cake. You'll find out what the surprise is. It's like so over the top. Also, they didn't. They don't even really make an attempt to disguise themselves, too. So, like, you very Bond knows who the hell they are. Like, he's not going to be fooled by by them. Um, but this is yeah. I I think what they they saw. You know, remember in from Russia with Love, the the girl with the the lady who had the shoes. Yes, and she with tried the knife to in them. stab the knife shoes that she tried. Like that's some really like good spy shit that could happen. Bomb under a cake is where you get into camp territory. Well, that's like, that's as you mentioned, Looney Tunes. That's Loon, that's exactly. that's Roadrunner, Acme, you know, Coyote stuff. Exactly, and and that's this is the movie where they kind of start doing that. And I I think Sean Connery was like, this isn't it. I so. I will say some of the other zany stuff I really enjoyed the Blues Brothers style car chase. Oh yeah, where they were they were just straight up wrecking cars and they got to shoot it on actual Las Vegas streets. And the what is I forget the name of the car they're driving in the movie the 1971 Mustang Mach One. Ford was a sponsor of the film. They got to use Ford's cars, um, including as the cars that got crashed. Beautiful car. That Mustang was sexy. I will say I was a big fan. Um, but that chase throughout the city was really cool and wrecking the police cars into each other was cool. But then again, he does that thing where he drives the car on its side through the oh, narrow yeah. gap. And you're like, what is going? That was bizarre. I enjoyed that. Uh, he stole a moon buggy and drove it around the desert. Okay. So the point, <laughs> so the point at which James, James Bond is going through the secret lab and then, the, and then the camera just cuts to two astronauts on the moon. And you're like, what is going on? And then James Bond peeks out from behind a rock. 
Yeah. I'm like, this is bizarre. It was it was like a spoof. It was like almost like a scene from a spoof movie. I, I wrote I wrote on here that uh, this movie is a lot like Austin Powers if it were played like a serious Bond movie. Yes. It's like it was like Austin Powers in reverse yes. almost. Very silly. So yeah, that that scene especially was was uh was a uh, comical, very like whimsical, like just out of nowhere uh, scene. Of course, you have um, you have uh, the classic Plenty O'Toole. Plenty O'Toole, very over the top. Who might be the shortest lived Bond girl in the whole series? Like she doesn't last long at all. She had like four lines, right? And 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 she uh, goes back with Bond to his room, and then mobsters show up and throw her out a window. And then what? She has a really great line. What is this? Some kind of perverts convention? <laughs> yes. Which is a, which is actually a pretty fun line. Yeah. Um. And uh, and then she's thrown out into the pool. That's right. And then the guy says, "I didn't know there was a pool out there." <laughs> um. Right. Yeah, that was you great. Would, yeah. Yeah. So. Um, but then she shows up in a different pool later in the movie yes. and she's dead. Uh, that actually, I had to look into that because I wasn't sure what, uh, like, cause that wasn't the, she died in the casino pool and then they were in the, that lady's house. No. Right. No. What I thought it was is that, correct me if I'm wrong, Bond alluded to this. They went to the house thinking they were killing Tiffany and right. killed Plenty by mistake. So so Plenty made it alive to the house. But what was she doing at the house? They they do resolve this. That's a good question. I don't know. So in a deleted scene, oh, well, uh, okay. Plenty makes it back to the room, uh, finds Bond making love to Tiffany, gets really mad and jealous, and instead of confronting them, goes into Tiffany's purse looks mm. up her address and then decides to go to her house where I guess she'll talk to her later then and get murdered and, and then she and she ends up getting murdered there so I, I will say a very quickly sidebar uh, a detail I noticed earlier in the film when the uh, who's the guy bond pretends to be Peter or something um, the, the the actual diamond smuggler yeah uh, after the elevator fight he swaps his wallet bond's wallet with him so so she thinks the dead guy's bond with the spray all over his face which is kind of crazy but what i love is to confirm his name she takes out bond's wallet did you catch this and the card she pulls out to confirm the name is his card to the playboy club uh, oh no i didn't catch and that. I, I thought that was a great detail <laughs> it was the only card in the wallet the wallet That's was empty except for james bond playboy, <laughs> club, playboy card. club and i was like of course, Bond would go to the Playboy Club. Of course, that's awesome. No, I I thought you were going to reference the the line she says right after that. She goes, "You just killed James Bond," and you you kind of sit there and you go, "Well, James Bond is a secret agent. Like you're not supposed you're not supposed to in like I yeah, know apparently James everyone Bond knows who is. he is. Yeah, the audience knows who James Bond is, but the you're not James to, Bond. You in the movie are not supposed to know who James Bond is. He's a secret agent for a reason. Obviously not a very good one, I guess, if his identity is out there in the open. You just killed James Bond as if it's like the famous, the one and only James Bond. And depending on how you buy into continuity, he died in Hong Kong like a few years ago. They shot him in Hong Kong. They shot him and they buried him in the papers. Yeah. Big headline. Yeah. Right. 
Um, so let's talk about one of my favorite reveals in the movie, Double Blofeld. And I wrote in my notes, all caps, question mark, two Blofelds? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I loved it. I loved it. It was so dumb. And he's like, which is which? And and they kind of go back and forth. And it's very fun. So then you got you to gotta wonder now, did he kill the real Blofeld in the beginning of the movie and the one he meets later on mm, is a clone? That's a good question. We'll never did, know. Did he kill a clone Blofeld and that one is the real – or is the one coming down the stairs the real Blofeld? Yeah. You don't you – don't, there's no way of knowing. I think – I think he killed a lookalike at the beginning of the movie because I, I think that's the easy answer. Sure. And you I want the real one to be later monster. in the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, so, in, in the White House, in in uh, in um, uh, White... Las Vegas? Yes, in his yep. penthouse, mm-hmm. um, where he's kidnapped the man um, and has taken over his life, pretending to be him with his little voice box, um, and is using his empire to do the actual evil plan, which is not stealing... Well, it is partially stealing diamonds, I should say. Um, but it's what he's using the diamonds for. That's the interesting piece. We're going back to outer space. And this time we're building a satellite that uses the diamonds to create a laser that can be shot from space. Yeah, I never knew how often James Bond will, will recycle this exact trope. I can I can recall at least three more times where they use it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a great idea. Yeah, at least three more, maybe more, maybe even more than that. But it comes back again in in uh, in Moonraker. It comes back again in Goldeneye. It comes back again in Die Another Day. Die Another Day. Yeah. So this is a this is a, a big trope: a laser, giant laser from space that can shoot onto Earth. Very hilariously, by the way, because the effects are kind of odd, where the the laser shoots missiles on the ground, but like it shoots in I don't know if it's China. And it shoots, and the guy like bursts into flames and is running around. Oh yeah, it's that was, very weird. I wrote that was uh, just awful, awful editing and CG, just, just like or whatever we call special effects, terrible. Yeah, they blew all their money on blowing up the oil rig at the end of the movie. Didn't have any left oh, for the graphics. Yeah, that was yeah. I'm sure that was really expensive there. Um. So we learned Blofeld's plan. He keeps James Bond alive for some reason that is baffling to me. Um, And Bond manages to track down Walter White, played by the iconic breakfast man himself, Jimmy Dean. Which, once I learned he was played, once we actually met Willard White, I was like, why wasn't he in the whole movie? He's awesome. (laughs) Like, I loved that character. Yeah. He would have. He definitely would have improved the movie. He would have made up for a lot of Connery's schlocky acting. Oh, it would have been great. He was so charismatic. I was like, I would watch a whole movie about that guy. Yeah. Yeah. At one, at one, point, like, at one point, he goes, "I'm gonna take the call from the toilet." I'm like, I love this guy. <laughs> he just seemed genuinely pleased to be in the movie, whereas Connery was the. He exact was the only opposite. one having fun. Yes. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you could kind of say that Tiffany. I thought she was having fun, but. The movie does everything it can to ruin her, so. That's sort of true. I yeah, like I Tiffany it, more than you do. 
I think you do. I, I like her in the be- I like her a lot more in the beginning. I think there were so many possibilities sure. that they could have done with her. Uh, first American Bond girl. She's like this this tough like take no crap Bond girl. Uh, you think she's gonna be like Bond's like partner in in action? Yeah, but none of the stuff. Bond girls are that. No, well they they but they 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 lie to you and they kind of deceive you and set you. I, I thought Dom, Domino was a better Bond girl because she actually did stuff and she she kill she saves Bond's life in in that boat the boat fight. She Barely, that guy. I mean, more of a she's more of a better action Bond girl, but just in terms of personality, I think Tiffany's got more going on. And I I think, and I didn't realize this until you point out, I think part of the reason for that is because she's compensating for Connery's lack of charisma in the movie. And I think she's overcompensating at points to be the entertaining one in the relationship. Yeah, it, and it shouldn't be that way in a no. Bond movie. But the writing doesn't do her any favors either. I mean, no. she they 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 have her they have her in, like unintentionally screw up Bond's plan. To switch the tapes, like he already switched the tapes. Oh, that's very funny. But then she switches them back. I switched the tapes. (laughs) I had already switched them. They were the real tapes. Oh my god, those cassette tapes, the marching band cassette tape. Yes, that was funny, and that that adds to the camp, and it's also unexpected. It's like a little unexpected twist, but uh, but they just make her, and then she has that. It all, of course, it all culminates into the part where she has that gun. And she has absolutely no idea how to use it. And she just ends up firing a bunch of times in the air until she falls back into the water. Yep. She falls off the oil rig and into the water. And then it's somehow okay. Because um, it's a Bond movie. And it's it's this is campy Bond. You're going to see a lot more of this coming up. Nice. A lot more can't, of things like this. Just be prepared. It's like the it's like watching the 60s Batman. But with, with Bond. I, I mean, I got to say, Matt. This movie was a rare moment for me that almost never happens in movies where I started hating it and I ended really enjoying it. This movie got better for me as it went on. And by the end, I was like, that was weird, <laughs> but I kind of liked it. All right. that Then you're going to live and let die is a lot like that. Okay. And most of the early Roger Moore's. Are, are, are like that too man with the golden gun is, is excellent too but it, it is like that where it's like you got to get you got to get used to it a little bit and you got to keep going in with the mindset that this is what bond was like in the 70s he was quirky and out there and whimsical well and this is way ahead of ourselves but i'm just not a big fan of the daniel craig super dark james bond so this is this is for sure more my style um yeah. and i think again what i liked about this movie we'll see how I feel when we get into some of these later ones. I liked how this balanced good action and good. Sp- the car chases were good and the, the fighting was good and it had zany stuff. So I like the mix of both. You can't have, that's why I think from Russia would love had its problem is it was all kind of boring spy shit and there was nothing fun or interesting about it for me. And so that's why I liked about this movie is it balanced those two really well. So overall, I think of the three we're talking about this evening, this is probably my favorite of the three. Then probably You Only Live Twice, and then after that, Thunderball was probably my least favorite of the three. Yeah, um, it's it's uh, it's interesting. I I still think that you can Thunderball, disagree. Yeah, I would I would I would put Thunderball as my favorite 
just because and it 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 really is because of that fight scene at the end that was wonderful with the with the uh underwater fight certainly unique sound i think we could we could both agree that you you only live twice was um a very racist movie <laughs> and, but it's... Uh, and a mistake in a lot of ways they made a lot of mistakes with that one so that doesn't help its case and i would probably put that one I don't know. I would probably put that one on the. I would. I want to put it on the, on the lowest, but it had such really good scenery. I think this. Th- this is a case where just three movies did three different things very well. Oh, they're very different. Differently, movies. yeah. I, I like the. I like the the. I like I like Connery the best in Thunderball, uh, of these three movies. Yeah, I, think he does I the agree. Best acting job in Thunderball. I agree. Um, I think that Thunderball has the best opening in in um. One of the best openings in any Bond film. I love that that opening scene with the jetpack and yeah, and the, the the fight with the widow. Yeah, uh, and I don't know. Uh, but I, the merits of the merits of uh, diamonds are forever. Is you have, um, you have a, you have a pretty good plot, and you have you have a good Blofeld moment. You have you have a twist that happened, like good pacing, and to a certain degree, the the um, the storyline is better. I don't know. Oh, I just, it just it's for hard. me, it's hard to rank them. Thunderball just committed the biggest sin a movie can have, which is it was boring for me. I, I would rather have an offensive movie. That's interesting. And you only live twice than a movie where I'm like, this is taking forever. And Thunderball had good moments for me, but I think you're right. The pacing of Diamonds Are Forever was pretty good because there was always something interesting going on. Now, part of that was these, you know, every time Wint and Kid would show up, you're like, okay, this movie's taking a turn, and it would. And yeah. so I liked the pacing better um, in that, uh, for sure. I, I would also say, and and uh, we can talk about this briefly, uh, the song, I Thought Diamonds Are Forever, Shirley Basie returning to, to sing the theme was excellent. Um, really big fan of this song. I thought Nancy Sinatra, we didn't mention, sung You Only Live Twice's theme. Uh, I think of these three, Diamonds Are Forever is the best song of Thunderball, You Only Live Twice, Diamonds Are Forever. What do you say? Um, that for me would be Tom Jones Thunderball. Uh, Love Tom Jones Thunderball. That's why I, I wrote it in my notes. I think it's, I think it's just, I don't know. There's like power behind it and stuff. I, I like it. No, it's I, good. My second, close, very close second, would be uh, "You Only Live Twice." Really? Yeah. I did not like that song, like at all. Really? Yes. I thought it, it, was, it felt. I, it felt I very it undone kind of to me. I, I I I disagree. I think it. I think it fit the. It fit Bond, but like going to the East so, oh. it, perspective. It's like Bond is in Japan. I don't know. I I thought it fit well with the uh, with the plot. I I thought in my head it, I had a lot of comparisons between that and um, you know when they sing uh, is it anything goes in the very beginning of Temple of Doom. Mm. Did you ever see Temple of Doom? Yes. Yeah, and the I think it's yeah anything goes. Um, the uh, uh, it, it just I don't know for some reason it brought it brought up like memories of of uh, of that. See, thought it was good for for me. Nancy, you even get a little jingle in the um, in the opening with the 
like shot by shot. You know when they do like the the uh, and Bond shoots the camera. I don't even yeah. know what to call that. The the very opening the barrel shot. Yeah, yeah, the barrel shot. Yeah, uh, the, you get like little like Eastern instruments with that. I thought that was that was pretty cool. There's kind of like they're setting the entire movie up to to face an eastward eastward direction. See, my comparison for you only live twice would be Nancy Sinatra song compares to. Jedi Rocks from Empire Strikes Back, a song that really has no business being there because it does not fit with the concept. Wait, what? What is Jedi Rocks? I believe, isn't that the name of the song that they sing at Jabba's palace in Empire Strikes Back? Oh, that was Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi. Sorry, what did I say? Empire Strikes, yeah. My bad. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Now I know the song you're talking about. Okay, that was a... Very so reference. it's just like, yeah, th- this kind of out of left field. Let's like, just power what, right through that bad what references. Is this? Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's a fine song. Um, did you know, by the way, that in... Shoot, I'm going to get the wrong movie, aren't I? Damn it. I think it was You Only Live Twice? Oh, no. In one of these three movies, it was the first time that they actually shot... They, they reshot the gun barrel opening because they had been using the same clip for the first couple movies. And they actually, they finally had the technology for a micro camera. They literally shot it through a real gun barrel. Oh. Or was it, it's either Diamonds or Forever, You Only Live Twice. I'm going to see if I can find the answer to that while I'm talking. My money's on Diamonds. I think it would be, because they would have had a little more time with that. That's just, that's the absolute only reason. They also would have, they would have just reshot it for, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, because Lazenby does his own gun barrel shot. Although that that might make more sense why they put it in You Only Live Twice, because it was right after him. Yeah, I don't, although I didn't know You Only Live Twice originally had a three-hour cut that received terrible responses, and then they recut it. Hmm. Love to know what that was. Probably more uh, bathing. <laughs> more, more sponge baths for Bond. Oh boy, that's upsetting. Um, more sponge baths and racist jokes. Yeah, the only other fun fact I have is that the and I forgot to mention this the uh, yacht explosion at the end of Thunderball. Do you know about this? No. Um, they used an experimental explosive to blow it up because they had a lot of military cooperation in the filming, you know, with all the military helicopters and the scuba guys and all that. Um, and they used uh, an experimental rocket fuel to explode the yacht. And they didn't know how powerful it was. It was so ma- And go rewatch it. It's bigger than it looks. The massive explosion shattered windows along Bay Street and Nassau roughly 30 miles away. Whoa. The special effects supervisor won an Academy Award for his work on the film. And this was Thunderball? And this was Thunderball. John Steers won the Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. I'm going to rewatch uh, rewatch that scene right now. It's um, a big explosion. I, I, I do know that in, in uh, another fun fact about You Only Live Twice is that in one of the scenes, <clears throat> I want to say it was the one of the car chase scenes, I think. Uh, there was one of the parts where there's an explosion. They accidentally destroyed part of Meiji Castle, mm. which is a very famous landmark in Japan. One of the most famous landmarks in in the whole country of Japan, and people were not happy about that. 
the Japanese government, I think, sued the film and um, good and won some money for it. Yeah, they destroyed part of not not part of like the castle itself, but I guess it 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 affected the grounds of the castle. Maybe like hit a wall or something. But yeah, it's dangerous. I mean, not only not only like lambasting Japanese culture with their their script, but also physically ruining it too. Well, we can go for the trifecta on effects trivia uh, on Diamonds Are Forever. At the end, when they blow up the oil rig, uh, the uh, explosions, the big explosions at the end of that were accidentally set off too early. And thankfully, they had a few cameras that were already rolling, but they only caught a fraction of the angles they wanted to of that scene um, because it had accidentally been set off early. So... Matt, yeah. can you believe we're done with Sean Connery? Uh, you know, I can't believe it. Unless we're going to go with the non-canon Never Say Never Again from 83 where he has gold, uh, silver hair. No. And looks 100 years old. If you, if, you, if you watch that movie, Sean, it is Thunderball. It's literally oh, it, Thunderball. Well, it's based again. on Thunderball. It is Thunderball. They <laughs> That's just, awesome. They redo everything in Thunderball. <laughs> it's just with different act. It's very bizarre. It's it's like a watching a recut of Thunderball. I think it actually is in some parts. In some places, it's better than Thunderball. I mean, but, it, it made one hundred and sixty million at the box yeah. office. So, yeah, but it's know. non. It's not canon, like no. you mentioned. So we're gonna um, skip skip that. But we have seven Roger Moore films to get through. We do. And speaking of the, the Sean Connery, now while we have seen the last of Sean Connery in uh, these films, I yes. wanted to mention when we get to a later movie, I have an idea for a part where I think that – and I'll just tease it now. But there's a part where I really, really thought they should have stuck Sean Connery in um, and they didn't. And I think they missed a, they missed a grand opportunity. But anyway. It's a great tease. Um, yeah. We'll talk about that uh, in a future episode. Yeah, come on back next time. We're going to start uh, our chapter three, but it's our first pass at Roger Moore. And I'm excited to announce Colby Rabideau will be back for his second go um, at introducing another Bond. Uh, we've got some good movies coming up here. I'm excited to see them. Uh, like I said, if you missed the last week's episode or you want to subscribe to get next week's episode, you should go to our website, upfordebate.tv. Uh, click the archive button and you'll get all our past episodes. You can also subscribe wherever you get podcasts on uh, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and of course, a video version on YouTube. And of course, you can reach out to us at TV or email us TV at gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on James Bond, because uh, I know you got him. But that's going to do it for us here. On behalf of Matt, I'm Sean. Thanks, folks, for joining us. We'll see you next time for a continuation of Up for Debate presents. This has been a Coffee and Beer production, executive produced by Matt Mariani and Sean Jennings. To learn more, visit coffeeandbeer.tv.